Makuta Sichas Chelik Yud Zayin, Parsha Bahar Sicha Beis, which is also a Siyam on the Sechta Shviyas, a summary of this Sicha. In regards to the mitzvah of, we know that one of the main mitzvahs of Shviyas is that you're not allowed to work the land. The land should rest, and you shouldn't plant it, you shouldn't plow, and so on. No agricultural work. The question could be asked, is this a mitzvah that the land should rest, or is it a mitzvah that a person should not work the land? What would be the difference? If, it's a pers- if the mitzvah is that the, earth, the, the ground, the earth should rest, so then you can't hire a goy, you would not be permitted to hire a goy to work the land, your land, because the mitzvah is that the land should rest. But if the mitzvah is that you shouldn't work the land, so then what if a goy works the land, then it would, uh, that wouldn't be violating the, the positive mitzvah of the, uh, the land resting. By the way, the negative mitzvah that you're not allowed to work, that applies either way. That uh, would not be permitted anyway. The mitzvah's loisessa applies either way. But the mitzvah's essa, would you be violating the positive mitzvah? That's the question. The same question can be asked also in regards to another mitzvah of Shviyas, which is that all the fruits of the land, like uh, tr- fruits that grow on trees, which you don't have to do any work, they come on their own. So there is a, there, the mitzvah is that they all become ownerless. Everyone has permission to come into your field and take from that fruit. The question is, do you have to declare it to be hefker? That's the mitzvah, you should declare it to be hefker. Or is it afkaita the malka, which means the Torah declares it to be hefker. Whether you, whether you want to declare it hefker or not is, re, is irrelevant. The Torah already said that it's hefker. What would be the difference? What happens if somebody decides, I am not declaring it Hefker. I don't want anybody to take it. He fences in his field, not allowing anybody to come and take it. So if we say that the mitzvah is that he has to declare it Hefker, so then the fact that he doesn't declare it Hefker means if somebody comes and takes, he's stealing from him. But if the Torah declares it Hefker, so then it doesn't matter if he doesn't want to. The Torah already made it Hefker, and therefore anybody can come and take it, regardless of whether the owner agrees or not. Another difference that could be, we know that the, on, during the seventh year, during the Shemitah year, there is no miser. You don't have to give any tithing from your produce that grows in your field, in your, on your trees and so on, because everything is hefker. So there is no miser. You know that anything that's hefker, there is no miser. But what happens if somebody decides that he doesn't want to be mafkir's field? So then maybe it would be, if we say that he has to declare it to be hefker and only then does it become hefker. So if he doesn't declare it hefker, maybe we would say that he has to give miser from it. Whereas if it's afkaita the malka, if it's the taita that declares it, so then there is no miser because it's irrelevant what he thinks, what he wants. But on the other hand, in regards to this issue, one could say that it's not so at all. You could say that even though he doesn't want it to declare it hefker, he has to declare it hefker. But even if he doesn't, it's still potter from miser. Why? Because we know that there is, uh, there is a difference in the type of miser that you give in the different years of the Shemitah cycle. In year one and two of the Shemitah cycle, you give miser sheni. In year three of the Shemitah cycle, you give miser oni. In year four and five, you give again miser sheni. In year six, you give miser oni to the poor people. So it would stand to reason that the reason that you don't, that the Torah divides it into different years is because it doesn't want to overload that you have to give all kinds of miser every single year and therefore divided it amongst other years. 
So what happens if somebody in year one decides he doesn't want to give Meiser Shani? Would we say that he has to give Meiser Oni? The only reason that you don't have to give Meiser Oni this year is because you're already giving Meiser Shani. But if you're not giving Meiser Shani, then you have to give Meiser Oni. We don't find such a swara, such an idea anywhere. Which means it doesn't have to, it, you don't have to give Meiser Oni, even if you didn't give Meiser Shani. Which means that in year one, there is no Meiser Oni, period. Although, theoretically, the reason is because you're already giving Meiser Shani, but that's not necessarily so. So there is no Meiser Oni, period. The same could be said also about Shemitah. Since the Torah ex- expects you to give to make it hefker, therefore the Torah took off the obligation for Meiser during that year, regardless of whether you declared it hefker or not. So we could still say that he does have to declare it hefker, but even if he doesn't, he's still putter for Meiser. So we still don't know whether um, you know declaring the fruits hefker is something that the Torah declares or you have to declare it. But perhaps we can answer it from what the Medrash says. The Medrash quotes the Pasuk, the ones mighty of power, the ones that fulfill the word of Hashem, to listen to His words, that's referring to the ones that keep, to the people that keep Shviyas, that keep Shemitah. Why are they called the power, the, the strong and committed people? Because he sees that his, his field is, is mufker. He sees his field is free and everybody can come and take. And he sees his, his uh, trees, everybody's coming and taking. And everybody is trampling through his field, and he and he controls his yetsar. He doesn't say anything. That takes a lot of commitment. You need to be strong in your commitment. From this, it seems, it doesn't say that he declares his field hefker. It says that he sees that his field is hefker. One would say from here that it's hefker because it's hefker because the Torah declares it hefker. He has to stand by and watch it. That's what takes strength. But of course you could say that the, the Medrash is only talking about when he sees the results of his having declared it Hefker. He's back home and he declares it Hefker, but then he sees the results. Everybody's coming into his field, they're taking all his fruits. That's where you become, that's where it takes strength not to say anything. So it's not a, it's not a really a solid proof because it could be talking only about the results of what he said, but he still has to be the one to say it. So one could say we could have proof, we could have show a proof that the mitzvah is actually something that you have to say. Not that it happens because the Torah declares it, Hefker, but it's something that you have to declare. Where can we show that from? We could see it because the Torah, the, the Gemara draws a, a similarity, shows the similarity between the suspension of your ownership of your fruits and also there's another mitzvah of Shemitah which is that if somebody owes you money you suspend ownership of that you know that loan that loan is doesn't have to be paid back Shemitah's Ksofen the suspension of the money that is owed to you the Gemara draws a similarity between the two by saying that they're both Dvar HaShemitah Bezed Dvar HaShemitah these this is the word, this is the matter of the Shemitah, and the, the Gemara compares, there are two types of Shemitah, there is the Shemitah of the land, the fruits that are suspended, your ownership of the fruits are suspended, your ownership of the loans is suspended. So what do we find about the suspension of the loans? The last, uh, mis- the last Mishnah in Shvi says, if somebody returns a loan that he owes after the Shemitah, he should say, the, the lender should say to him, I suspended that loan, you don't have to pay me back. 
But if the borrower says, I still want to pay it back, he can accept it from him. As it says, this is the word of the Shemitah, meaning to say, he has to say, I suspend it. But if the guy wants to pay it back, he can, he can accept it. So if you'll say that the money becomes suspended because the Torah declares it's suspended and not because you have to say that it's suspended, you have to suspend ownership of that money, so then why does the Torah say, why does the Mishnah say he returns a loan, a chayv, an obligation? If the Torah already removed his obligation to pay it, then there is no obligation. There's no chayv. Why does the, the Mishnah call it a chayv? And why does it say, I am suspending it? It's not the lender that suspends it. It's the Torah which suspended it. So therefore, from the fact that the Mishnah says that he's returning, he wants to return the chayv, and the, the person has to say, I am suspending it, means that it's up to the person. It's about the, the Jew, the Yid, saying, I am suspending it. The Yid taking action and suspending it, not that the Torah already did it on your behalf. Another thing, if the Torah declared it to be suspended, forgiven, so then why, is the, why should the Leva be permitted to return it? If the Torah says it's returned, it's, it's forgiven, why should he return it? Why do we say that Ruach HaChamim Noichem Why are the sages pleased by his returning it? The Torah said he shouldn't return it. So therefore, we see from this that it's not something that the Torah suspends, it's something that the person has to suspend. And therefore, it's the person that has, the Torah says, you should not requ- uh, require the person to pay it. The lender should not ask for the money back. Does that mean that the money is completely forgiven? No, there is a, uh, there is a lien that is placed against you know, theoretically, there is a lien that is placed against the assets of the borrower when you give him that loan. And even though you have no right to ask for the money back, because the Torah says you shouldn't, how is that lien removed? That lien is never removed. Therefore, it's still correctly called a chayv. There is still a chayv. And therefore, if he wants to pay it back, he can pay it back. But you have no permission to ask for it. You have the obligation to refrain from asking for it. So therefore, just as we find it by the Shemitah's Ksafim, that it is the person that has to declare the suspension of the loan, not that the Torah suspends the loan, so also by the fruits of the field, it's the person that has to declare it to be free and clear, and not that it's something that is done by the Torah, and therefore the person has no say in the matter at all. So based on this explanation of how the Shemitah's Ksafim works, that on the one hand you're, you're prohibited from collecting it, but on the other hand the loan still remains, there is still some lien on the money that is owed, we can explain now what the rest of the Mishnah says. The rest of the Mishnah follows up with two other cases in which Ruach HaChamim Noichahimenu. The first case is, if somebody owes money to a convert whose children also converted, and therefore technically, because there is no yichus, they're like uh, therefore they have no familial relationship with their father, and therefore they are not the heirs to his estate legally. So when when the if the ger dies, who should he pay back the loan to? He does he doesn't have to pay back the loan to anybody. There's nobody to collect it. But still, if he pays it to them, so the Mishnah says. He doesn't have to give it to the children, 
But if he gives it to them, Ruach HaChamim Noichei As The third case is, metaltal, immovable objects are acquired by taking hold of them. If you pay for something, it doesn't become yours yet by metaltalin. You have to actually take hold of it in order for it to become yours. So what happens if somebody discussed with someone, I want to buy this movable object, and then he wants to, the, the, the seller wants to back out. So the, he doesn't have to give it, and it doesn't follow through on the sale. But the Chachamim say that if somebody follows through on his word, the, uh, the sages are pleased by following through on your word, even though technically you can back out of the deal, but you should sell it to him, you should uh, follow through on the deal, even though he didn't take possession of it yet. So obviously the connection between these three things in the Mishnah, in the last Mishnah of Shvi'is, is because in all three cases, legally he doesn't have to do what he's, gonna, what he's doing, but the sages are pleased by what he's doing. But it would seem that it's more than just that they're pleased by it, it's also because they're pleased in the way that they're pleased by it as which will be explained now. As we said before, that <clears throat> even though there is no obligation from the person to pay back the loan, we said that there is no, the trader doesn't require him, he's not allowed to demand the money and therefore he doesn't have to pay it him, but the heftza, the object of the loan, the amount of the loan, still remains in play. So therefore, when he pays it back, that gets resolved as well, the same applies to all those three cases as well, the, the other two cases as well. In fact, one, there's another interesting thing, which is the progression of the three cases. Usually when a Mishnah says something and then follows up with two other cases that are similar, have the same halacha, it's telling us not only is this halacha in the first case that I told you, but even though you might have imagined that in the second case it's not so, you should know that it is so. And even though the first two, it is so, you might think that in the third case it's not so, so I'm here to tell you that it is so in the third case as well. What's called loizu afsu, not only in this case, but also in this case, not only in this, these two cases, but also in the third case. So the same would be true in this case as well. To explain, <coughs> when we say that ruach hachamim noichem, it's not just something like, you know, incidentally he did a good thing because of some reason, you know, some side thing, he did something good. What ruach hachamim noichem means, they are pleased by how this issue itself got resolved. When you do the right thing, the issue itself gets resolved properly. So in the case, in the first case, Let's just step back for a second. In, in every loan or sale, there are three components. There is, in the case of a loan, the lender, there is the borrower, and there is the amount of money that he lent him and he borrowed from him. Those, the money is what brings together these, th three, these two people. The same with the sale. There is the buyer and there is the seller and there is the object which he is buying or selling. That's what brings them, the, the two together. So in the first case, where he returns a loan on, that, he, that he really doesn't have to return because Shviyas has already suspended it, Ruach HaChamim Noichemenu applies to all three of the components, all three players. On the one hand, they're pleased that the lender, because he did a mitzvah and he gave a loan to someone, so the Chachamim are pleased that he will receive his money back so he doesn't have to suffer a loss 
and lose the money that he lent him. So everything falls into place nicely for the lender. For the borrower, there is a, you know, the, the, the sages say that don't spit in the well. I don't think it says it in that way. But in English it said, do not spit in the well from which you drink. So the, the borrower, he got a favor from the lender. He gave him a loan. So he should be appreciative and he should pay him back. So the Chachamim are pleased that he has that feeling that he wants to pay it back. So the Malva is, they're happy how it turns out for the Malva. They're happy as it turns out for the Loiva. And for the object itself, for the amount of money itself, since, as we said before, the money itself never got returned, never got paid off. The lien still remains. Therefore, they're happy that when he returns it, the money also resolves itself. And there is no longer a lien. So in other words, the Ruach HaChamim Menu applies to all three components. In the second case of the Ger that borrowed, that gave a loan. So over there, the Ruach HaChamim only resolves itself, the issue only resolves itself in regards to the borrower, that he pays back money, even though there is nobody to collect it from, but so the closest person which are the children of the ger at least he gets to pay it back over there and he shows his appreciation to them also as we said before the loan itself gets resolved because until he pays it back it there still remains a lien the loan is still in play because he didn't repay it back so that gets resolved but in the case of the malva there is no malva the malva died there is no malva the children are not a malva they are not the lender because they are not the heirs of the ger. Legally and technically they're not. And therefore, as the, the Mishnah says, he doesn't have to return it to the children. What he's trying to say is, in this case, there is no lender. There's nothing to resolve with the lender. But yet, even though it only resolves two components of this issue, still that's why this one is written second. That it's... Even in this case, it's still pleasing the Chachamim because two of the matters got resolved. In the third case, only one matter gets resolved. The buyer and the seller have no relationship with each other yet because nothing passed between them. He didn't actually end up selling it to him. He didn't yet hand over the object. So therefore, he's not a buyer and he's not a seller. There's only a potential, but until it happens, they're unrelated to each other. The only thing is that since the, the seller said, I will sell you this object, so just because he said those words, the object already has somewhat of a connection to the buyer, even though legally it doesn't. But morally, to some degree, it already has a connection. So therefore, if he follows through on his words and he actually sells it to him, because the object goes to where morally it belongs based on the words of the seller. And therefore, at least that gets resolved. And even there, even there, the Chachamim are pleased that at least one thing got resolved. The Rebbe concludes this discussion with a Hasidic idea, which is that in Shemitah we find a two contradictory things. On the one hand, and the, the mitzvah is that you shouldn't work the land. You shouldn't ask for the money. It's a negative thing. It's not a proactive thing. It's something to refrain from doing. On the other hand, the Zedvara Shemitah, it's something that you should do. You have to actively declare it to be suspended and so on. 
So we find this contradictory thing, it's a negative thing and yet a positive thing. And the reason is because Shemitah is associated with Svirus HaMalchus. Shemitah is the seventh year, Svirus HaMalchus is the seventh Svira. And Svirus HaMalchus has both of these components. On the one hand, it's completely bottled to the upper Svirus. Less klum. it doesn't have anything of its own, it receives from the upper six Svirus. And it is completely bottled to them. On the other hand, it, Malchus is associated with Dibur. As we find by Shemitah, on the one hand, it's an idea of Bittl refraining, and on the other hand, it's, you have to declare it to be so. And that's why what the, the, the Medrash that we said before, that the ones that keep Shemitah is Oise Dvare, they're called Oise Dvare. Why is it called Oise Dvare? Why not uh, the ones that do his mitzvah? Why Dvare? Because Shemitah is associated with Dvare. Shemitah is associated with speech, with declaring the Zedvara Shemitah. And that's also why the final words in the Mishnah, in the Sechta Shviz are, Kolom is Dvaroid, one who fulfills his words, Ruach Hacham Menu, very apt ending to the Sechta Shviz, associated with one's words, which is also associated with Shviz.